Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Fanti, the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I am writer, producer, and journalist Jared Hill. And I'm journalist Travel Anderson. Welcome back to the show. Coming up on this week, we are going to be talking about Pride Month. But first, for our Pass the Popcorn, Jared wanted to discuss the final season of Pose. That's right. The Queer Tonette has been a buzz. Is Queer Tonette? Does that work? Like the you queer love internet? making up new words on this podcast. I, do enjoy- I know you ain't talking. I don't make up new words. I make up new pronunciations. There's a difference. No, I think you really just like fuck up pronunciations. Let's call that what it is. <laughs> is it really the- fucking it up? Well, the queer internet is abuzz with all sorts of feelings about the coming finale of Pose, the seven episode final season of the groundbreaking show comes to a close this coming Sunday, June 6th on FX. As a heads up, there will be spoilers in this conversation. So if you're not caught up, be alerted or skip ahead and revisit this conversation uh, (laughs) when you're getting your life back in order. This season, we've seen our favorite character stories advance four years to 1994. Electra's finally the rich bitch she's always said that she was. Blanca's found love with a fine-ass doctor and her family is thriving. Angel and Poppy have just gotten married and started their own beautiful little family. And pray tell's fateful battle with AIDS seems to be coming to its end. We wanted to take a moment to discuss our feels about the conclusion of this series as we begin Pride Month in what will be a mini fan tie, but not really, but kind of, but it is. Travel, what's been your overall view of Pose throughout the series? Uh, throughout the series. I mean, you know, Pose has been doing what Pose has needed to be doing. Um, it's been great to watch and to witness. Um, and it's been a good, you know, campy, enjoyable time. Um, I love the show. Love the majority of the people on the show. Um, and, you know, ever since they put them, them, you know, put them white people away back into the refrigerator from season one, you know, I feel like it has elevated, you know. Um, you Did you ever feel like the white people in season one just Felt forced. took away? It, I didn't even <laughs> force. It was just like, I didn't sign up for this. I just saw Dawson. Uh, what's his name? James Vanderbeek in a photo. Yes. Uh, with some one of the cast members, and I was like, "What is he? Oh, oh yeah, he was in there. Yeah, it did feel a little random. He played the, um, the Trump like character. Yeah, and Angel was dating a white dude that was straight yes. and married or something like that. Yeah, there was a few. Um, I've generally really enjoyed the show. Um, I, I I think there are some interesting writing and acting choices sometimes, but I think overall, I think the show, um has really been fantastic in moving culture. And I think that, you know, good art can do that. Um, I think they've done a fantastic job of depicting the lives of these people and kind of introducing a lot of people to um, not only ballroom, but trans folks and, you know, trans identified culture. And I think it was, it's been really, really beautiful to watch. Um, As we kind of get into our arcs on this final season, I think the thing that I really love the most about Pose is the way that they depict people loving each other. I think this is a show Mm -hmm. about family and like you see the different ways that love shows up in people who are in a chosen family, right? There are, I don't think there's any two characters that are blood related to one another, um, but they are all a part of this family that they've designed, that they've created and that they've uh, you know, kind of fortified. We are a family like a giant. Like a giant tree. 
Um, you always have a musical just like waiting, right? <laughs> like right beneath your shoulders. Not quite on the tip of your tongue, but like if you, you just dig a little bit. It's sitting um, right there in my clavicle. In your, in your clavicle. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that they show people loving each other so beautifully. And I think I felt that more than anything uh, in this final season. Um, because it's, I, I've loved the arc of these people, like, you know, kind of growing out of their situations in the earlier seasons. Um, and that's, what's been beautiful to me. I know that you feel like they're doing like final season stuff though. I mean, they're doing fine. I mean, they have no choice, right? It's your final season. You've got seven episodes. You need to wrap up the storylines girl. Right. And that's what this entire season feels like to me. Um, and there are parts, you know, parts of it that work really well. Like I think the, um, the episodes that we get that are dedicated to Electra's backstory and that are uh, dedicated to Pray Tell's backstory um, are like great and necessary. And I feel like we probably would have gotten those episodes um, anyway. I know, you know, so many of, of the cast um, and particularly like Janet and Stephen Canals had talked about wanting to to give the audience more of those characters. But outside of that, there's so much that just feels contrived and feels forced and feels like they are, you know, purposefully, you know, wrapping up the storylines, right? It, it They're doing what they have to do. Can you be do. more specific? Like when you say I that mean, it feels contrived, like give me an example. It fe- it feels I, I I feel like the entire series everybody everybody's got some sort of addiction that they're working through, right? So that they can have you know a a come to Jesus moment, if you will, by the end of ep- by the by episode seven, right? Um, which everybody we know. or like three people. Because it was well, it was three, Lulu three and Angel. Three out of five people. Lulu and, and Angel. Praytel is Praytel was alcohol. Back off the uh, the the what they call him? You know, the fall juice. off the wagon. Fell um, off the wagon. No, nope, because um, this is a, this is a situation that Praytel in particular has had in, in a previous season, right? Um, and then you know because of the life issue the real life issues that ryan jamal swain um was going through and having who plays the character of damon his character gets written off as you know uh he he went went back home you know or went to somebody else's home in philadelphia for rehab i did not hear what that was what what happened with ryan jamal swain he experienced the death in his family and he he decided to step away from the show um, okay. so nothing like you know major but because of that there's like a passing mention of why he's not there in that um, first episode yeah and the, so yeah it's just that that is that is what i'm dealing with um but again i i enjoy the show i think i love the the wedding scene that we got um in the most recent episode if you're listening to this this week um can we hang out right beautiful. there can we hang out right there for a second i think the wedding episode i like was sitting on the couch here at my parents house i'm in seattle visiting my parents they just moved here and like i was like weeping i i was like crying through half of that episode i thought the presentation of gifts to angel was beautiful i thought the um poppy talking to uh, the other guys and saying like you have shown me what brothers are i thought that was beautiful i thought the wedding whole the whole wedding situation and poppy singing i thought first of all the little boy being the ring bearer was just so appropriate. I thought uh, Poppy singing the vows was beautiful. I just thought it was a really, really beautiful episode, probably the best episode of the series. And I, I just loved that. I, no? Mm-mm. Really? 
Mm-hmm. And it was a really great episode. Don't get me wrong. Janet Mock was in her fucking bag for that episode. Uh, I think and I think that episode top... represents so much because of the conversations that, you know, it it purposefully is having about, you know, trans women being loved and being loved yeah. in, in the open and all of that. Um, but, you know, I feel like the pilot is a very strong pilot. And that I, I, is, there's a scene in in the very first episode that I can't get out of my head. Um, and so, but is, I do think it is, it is up there. The one where um, Blanca is in the office with the, with the school teacher. She's like, I'm his mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the dance studio. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. there's, there's nothing that's ever going to hit me the way that Candy's funeral episode uh, did, especially that never knew love like this performance. I think that was one of the highlights of the sh- of the series for me uh and this wedding was i also want to just throw in a quick clip because i know we gotta go um the take me to church episode really like hit home in a lot of different ways and i felt really seen and triggered by some of it this is First the episode all, be- with pray tales backstory just for those exactly who don't know. yeah well i was getting there but i was gonna say his, long. Tr- his tribe of women i thought was beautiful we saw jackie harry playing his aunt jada uh we saw anna marie Hors- horsford playing charlene we had Janet Hubert, uh, the original Aunt Viv playing Latrice. Um, the black also The black dress. I also felt um, that my favorite line of dialogue, maybe it's definitely in my top lines of dialogue from this series came from Jack A. Harry, where she's playing his aunt and she, he's gone back home to tell his family that he has AIDS and he's dying. And toward the end of the episode, she's talking to Prey about his final wishes. And there is this little moment that I feel like is as Jack A. Of, as any moment. Take a listen. So tell me, what are your final wishes? I know you've been thinking about this already now, but you, you want a parade or something? No, <laughs> no. Something about you want a parade or something? Like I have laughed at that so many times. I think you Jack would. A is a national treasure and I was just so excited uh, by that moment. But um, ultimately I'm really, really happy that, about this show. I'm sad that it's leaving, but I think that they have done a really, really beautiful job in a total of what will be 25 episodes um, of this series. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that all of the stars of the show, um, you know, can go on and do more things. And which how we waiting careers. to see. We will be. We will be. Uh, Coming up, the good, the bad, and the glittery of June. Fanti Pride is up next. Don't go anywhere. Hey there. We've all heard the stories of one person meeting another. (laughs) One person meeting another. Falling in love and things getting a little heated. Well, with Dipsy, the stories continue beyond the initial meetup. Come hear what happens behind closed doors. I feel like this voice is really difficult for me to hang out in without getting awkward and laughing at myself. Anyway, Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. They release new content every single week. On Sundays, you've got all these great new stories coming out. There's always more to explore, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. And if you need to wind down... Dipsy also has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. Uh, There's a bunch of new releases that just came out. 29 new stories. Um, Falling, getting intimate with Niall. I don't know who Niall is, but apparently it's... uh, This is one of those stories where it's a guy and he's talking directly to you. Get into it. Um, How you Lecture me. Right. Lecture me five is a teacher situation and they're in public. 
listen and it features dirty talk i'm into it um <laughs> get intimate with mateo i don't know who mateo is but he sounds cute um there's all kinds of really great stories for you to check out and for our listeners of the show dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com slash fanti dipsystories.com slash fanti get your life girl <laughs> not you doing your own ad lib <laughs> exactly we here at Fanti have told y'all long before this moment about the greatness that is HBO Max and the types of shows that you all should be checking out there and we're happy to say that HBO Max is now helping to sponsor the show okay they've got some it? great they've got some great programming you know set for you to check out for the wonderful Pride Month and you all need to go there because they do a really great job I think of queer representation one show in particular I've talked about before before legendary season two it's in progress right now they drop a new episode every single week if you if you love pose if you love some of that ooh ah, ah sensation that pose gives you every single week but won't be giving you any more legendary is the show that can replace that all right my favorite show on hbo max last year was probably we're here um i thought we're here was so interesting and heartwarming in a way that is just so unique to uh, these three drag queens that are going around the country and inspiring folks and I just thought it was really really dope so there's plenty of really fantastic content for you to check out over on HBO Max yes go and take yourself over to HBO Max they've got a a hub where they are focusing all of the the LGBTQ related content so it's easy for you to find they've got live performances there queer comedy specials exclusive behind the scenes conversations drag performances artist spotlights and so much more you can check out all all of that incredible content at HBO Max ha- that HBO Max has curated to celebrate this month at hbom.ax slash fanti. All right. That's hbom.ax slash fanti. Visit now and sign up for HBO Max to start streaming everything we mentioned and so much more. Welcome back, beautiful people. Like clockwork, as of June 1st, we are in another Pride Month. This is supposed to be a time when the gays, the bi's, and the girls wave our queer and trans flags high. I'm sure in many of your necks of the woods, y'all may be prepping Pride celebrations, whether they're in person or maybe you're going for the virtual extravaganza again this year. Um, But surely there will be lots of glee and glitter to go around, and I'm sure Target t-shirts and Ikea rainbow bags and chase emblazoned lube. Um, you know, you, you oh, know the girls. not Chase Bank. Oh, you God. know the, the girls that love doing, you know, a corporate, you know, emblazoned uh, merch or whatever I'm to like, throw out at the prides. The idea that the bank is giving out lube with their logo on it is hysterical to me. Full I just disclosure. Full disclosure. I have never had a Chase Bank emblazoned <laughs> bottle of lube. This is a creation in my head. But I was going to say, know. cut to the statement from Chase where they're like, just want to be clear, never done that. 
<laughs> but more and more this month, which is supposed to commemorate the actions of those badasses at Stone at the Stonewall Inn in June of 1969, is received in complex and complicado ways by many of us in the community, often those black and brown. Um, to get us started, Jarrett, um, I'd love to know what's your most memorable pride story. Hopefully, it's a positive one, Cha. Twasn't. <laughs> it oh. was not. <laughs> um, my first pride story was trauma. Uh, it, I mean, sort of trauma. I my most memorable pride story is my first pride. Uh, I lived in the Bay Area where I'm from and I went to Pride in San Francisco, which is its own experience. Um, you set yourself up. I'm sorry. Baby, I don't even know what the story is, but you set listen, yourself up. Okay, listen, all of these wounds are self-inflicted. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, I was, it was the first time I'd ever been to anything close to Pride. I think I had just come out uh, like three or four months prior. Um, and I... <laughs> It was the first time I'd like saw a woman walking down the street completely topless and everybody was fine. And like, you know, it was a party in the, in the Castro district. And I was there with this guy that I was sort of dating, but not actually dating, which ended up being a theme throughout, throughout, you know, my twenties and early thirties. Um, but his name was Jeremy and like, Jeremy was like the only boy in the world that I could see. And like, Jeremy was like, "Eh," you know, but like, I was like, (laughs) I was super in. Um, We went to Pride. We had a great time and like met all these great people or whatever. And like, I remember coming back after Pride was over and not seeing my car in the parking space that I'd parked in and being like, is this the right street? No, this is definitely the right street. And like looking around and then- Your car got stolen? No, it was towed because I had parked in the wrong area and my car was towed. I spent the rest of the evening at an impound trying to get my car back. I had already had like some awkward moments with Jeremy and then my car is impounded. Like it was, it was an okay day turned bad by the end of it. And I was like, Mm-mm. I hate San Francisco. I hate pride. <laughs> Fuck all of this. I'm going home. Jeremy ended up ended up not being uh, the boyfriend that I thought he was going to be in the future. And uh, we haven't spoken in a dozen years. So well, there is I'm, that. I'm sure Jeremy is probably married to a white woman. They have three kids. I mean, um, a black one with two kids. Um <laughs> But I think they broke up and he's straight now. I mean, I think he's gay now. I don't know. But you well, know, shout, shout out to, to him. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say his whole name because it's a generic name, but I'm not going to do that to you. But you know who you are and you don't listen to the show anyway. Or you do because you're creeping. Different conversation. <laughs> Travel, what's your most memorable? Jordan says she actually has him in the waiting room. We're going to bring Jeremy in. <laughs> do we have the paternity test, Jordan? Do we have the results? <laughs> Travel, what about you? What's your most memorable pride story? Um, my most, so I've never been a pride girl, like even being like in my prime, if you will, in Atlanta, you know, MLK weekend or, you know, the formal pride month in, uh, in June, I just never, mm-mm, too many people, too much sweating, too many smells. I can't, I'm sorry, but in 2016, 
I was out here in LA. Uh, oh, this is going to get a, just a little, it's going to go down, FYI. I'm going to bring it back up, oh. but it's going to go down. This is your, Sheesh. This your, is a roller coaster. Your, your, your content warning, I guess. Um, <laughs> but 2016, the night before the Pride Parade here in LA, the Orlando Pulse shooting happened. Mm, like yeah. literally, two. well, I guess it was 2 a.m., Florida time, which is what midnight, eleven a.m., eleven p.m. our time. That goes down, shake you know, shakes everybody's comfort level um, as it relates to being in queer spaces. And then the next morning, there were a whole lot of reports about some guy being apprehended by police here in L.A. who had explosives in his car and was on the way to pride in west hollywood Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason though i woke up that morning after all of this news and even in spite of hearing the the reporting about the the guy who was detained here in la and i was like you know what i just gotta be around some faggots god damn it you know (laughs) like i need to be around some some queer people and you know we weren't sure what was going to happen with the parade because of the security issues or whatever but when i tell you i i you know found my little parking space side note connected to your story always read the street signs y'all even when it's when Baby. you call it pride read the street signs y'all <laughs> Honey. But i showed up to pride and it was just like the most joyous you know affirming experience just to be around queer people i mean the majority of them are white but that's fine in this instance um it was just like it was that that emotional thing that i needed in that moment to be able to like cope with and deal with you know all of the other stuff that was going on and so that's my favorite and most memorable pride moment um because for me it just kind of demonstrated you know that resilient spirit that we often talk about mm. um as queer people but you know i i do think that's a great way for us to start getting into the fan of the conversation right the things that we we love and enjoy about pride and for me one of those things is just being in kind of physical community with with other queer people um especially as somebody who's i i, I don't really go to the clubs like that you know I don't really go to many places that ain't my couch like that. Uh, it's so- Honey, the oldest person I've ever met in my life Y'all is Travel right. Rajon Anderson. <laughs> Y'all will be all right. But that's what Pride, I think, does. It is an opportunity just to, like, you know, see people um, and see how their queerness shows up and how them being kind of open and secure and 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 prideful and audacious in their mm. pride the ways in which that kind of spills over to everybody else yeah i i remember being in college uh in the uc and like i don't remember who said it to me but they were talking about how like the most overtly gay folks are the ones i heard doing the real work um of moving culture forward and i they i remember them saying something to the effect of like the faggots are doing the real work and what they meant by that was like i think at that time there was this idea that like will and grace was what was moving the culture forward and like to some degree that was true like will and grace had a major impact on um you know the country's view of uh, queer identities um of, of gay folks specifically very specifically white gay folks but um <laughs> 
But I remember, you know, the conversation being like, you know, everyone talks about Will Truman um, and how like he was kind of like the acceptable homosexual, right? He wasn't throwing it in your face. He was very, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, you know, normal straight passing maybe for some folks. Um, but Jack McFarlane was the one that was really doing the work because the most, the most, you know, uh, outwardly, overtly queer um, folks whose, you know, expression is the most visible tend to be doing the real work because they're the ones that make you see it, that make you have to discuss it, that make you have to, you know, uh, be aware of, of the living of those people, of, of each of those people. And so they were saying like, those folks are the ones that are really bringing awareness. And I think that pride is one of those moments when that is just like overflowing in culture, right? Mm -hmm. All over the country, we're seeing queer folks all over social media. We're seeing queer folks celebrating with rainbows, which I've never really loved the rainbow as our, um, as our symbol, but like, sure girl. Um, So similarly, I do appreciate like the ways in which pride is one of those months of the year where I feel like a little bit of progress gets made just a little bit more every single year um, that folks have to see it. The, it mm, mm, I'm going to save my comment for the anti-section. Keep going. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, also, during Pride Month over the last five years, oh, this will be the fifth year, I think. Maybe it's the fifth or sixth year. Um, I always host the Vision Awards in New York City. And so that's from the Stonewall Community Foundation. Um, and I go in, like, I always just kind of have, like, Pride is always a, something that I associate with the Vision Awards. Um, the Stonewall Community Foundation honors different, you know, queer and trans folks throughout uh, from, you know, things that have happened in the previous year or, you know, things that are in culture. And so that is one of the positive associations that I have with Pride um, and having, you know, been in New York for World Pride two years ago and things like that. Um, but you know, it's it's probably one of the things that I think about the most with pride. And then finally, as a professional gay, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's usually a coin attached to something with pride. Child. <laughs> right? Pride. You know what I mean? Like, pride is, pride is a, a time when, you know, the queers are working extra hard. Shout out to June 2020, because Jesus Christ, that was like probably the worst pride or the best pride, depending on how you're looking at it. Um, mm. But like, those are the kind of the things that kind of sit in the fan space for me as far as pride is concerned. Yeah, child, I have to agree on that whole professional homosexual type of thing. You know, June is like our tax season or something like that. You know, <laughs> like you, we trying to be where the money reside. Okay, there's all these campaigns dropping, influencer opportunities, events, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, I will say the bandwidth goes down. I feel like the price goes up, but my bandwidth goes down because it's Baby. just like, girl, it's, it's too much. Um, but, you know, and we've spoken about before, I think the ways in which, you know, the calendar is kind of connected to the potential economic gains of folks. Um, But the last thing I would say in the fan side is that I think Pride for me, it's just like so comedic and so absurd all at the same time. And I think this gets a little bit to what you were talking about with the the Will versus Jack um, kind of comparison. You know, Pride is that opportunity. Well, it is seen by some as an opportunity to like, let your freak flag fly, you know, mm-hmm. because this is an opportunity, particularly if you're at like a pride celebration to just be your your fully unfolded self. Um, and I know there are, you know, people in the community who feel a type of way about, you know, all of that. But like, I love seeing, you know, the kinksters at pride. 
Like I love seeing, you know, the which is the, so funny because you're such a prude. The drag queens who's, you know, they've been in their makeup since six a.m. baby, and by by eleven a.m. <laughs> it is dripping. But guess what? They're still turning it out. Okay, like, that contour has recontoured. <laughs> that visual element to me is just so that that is what pride is to me. Right, um, that freedom, that audaciousness, um, and then on the flip side, as we get into the anti, pride is also just like <laughs> pride is. You know what? Pride is. <laughs> you know that part. What are you going of, through right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm formulating my uh my my metaphor in my head, and oh, the Lord. only thing that's coming to mind is food, um and so that's what's making me laugh. Um, but pride is that part of the chicken that nobody eats. You know, you know that that part of the chicken, uh, like a, a whole chicken. When you get a whole chicken, and there's that there's a little flap over the butt area. Mm-hmm. You do you you don't know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know that that little flap. Nobody really, you know, wants to eat that flap. You know, I feel like I always see that flap cut off. Um, this that is, is getting what I very think of. specific. <laughs> that is it's what like, I think of. It's I the think of tip of the flap, not not the whole flap, but the tip. <laughs> no. Um, I will say you mentioned not like never really being a big pr- fan of Pride, and that is really true for me as well so you mentioned first off the pulse shooting and like the pulse shooting was like six weeks maybe before the melania trump situation happened and like i was having i was in a really difficult stretch of life um and so when pulse happened that night some friends and i had already planned on going out and it was the only time this has ever happened to me where the entire time my whole body was like i don't want to do this and then i got like everyone had heard about the shooting. Everyone was feeling the ways that we were feeling about it. And I remember getting into a nightclub and like my whole body was like, get out of here, get out of here, get out the of here. The same night? Yeah, that oh, night. Because, no. right, I was like, I remember being really scared and like everything felt like I was in the first act of a movie that was about to go left. And I think I was kind of like seeing things a little bit in slow motion. And I remember telling my friends like, I can't do this. And like, I left. And I remember walking back out of the club and walking down the street and being like, what is wrong with me? And like being upset with myself for feeling it and like, and for like leaving. But I remember getting home and feeling like scared that something was going to happen to my friends in the club. Like I, it was just a really, really difficult night. Um, And it, it kind of like was something that I've never forgotten that feeling of fear um, and I've, I've always remembered that about the pulse shooting is just like being scared that night. Um, but I'm also, I'm a person that like, if you live in Los Angeles, you know, that WeHo's pride is an experience in and of itself. And like, I get really nervous about the ways that like a huge crowd of drunk people, especially homosexuals will behave, you know, in a big crowd like that. People are all out in the street. People are, you know, doing some of everything and some of nothing at the same time. And like, I just don't enjoy those environments. Like I don't have a good time in that. And it, it, it's a real turnoff to me. Interesting. I, I don't have a problem with the, with the drunkards, uh, you know, it, it, 
I do feel like that's a part of how some people celebrate. Um, and now you ain't going to see me tiptoeing around the streets. Because also, Pride right, is also get your a lives. marathon. I just don't want to be here for it. <laughs> Pride is also a marathon, right? Like you drinking, you drink, if you start drinking at 10 a.m., you get your mimosas going and then you can be up literally in West Hollywood or or wherever whatever locale you are in for 15 hours after that, right? Like it is Let's be absurd. clear. You can. Oh no, no, no. Cuz I'm well, I know you can't. And Listen, I can't. Not these But knees, some honey. of y'all can. <laughs> um, but, you know, to that point though, you know, I feel like every time pride comes around there's always these conversations about like, you know, two things. One, um, which I think is a little connected to what you were saying is just like who who pride is for, right? Like is pride for us as 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 the broad LGBTQ community? Is it for families? Can the kinksters come out in their harnesses and their jock straps? You know, even though uh, little boo 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 kitty is is you know sitting on the stoop watching the parade go by did you just pull out a season one empire reference i sure did you're welcome wow uh but but like i feel like those are always conversations that we hear whether or not pride is like should be or is quote-unquote family friendly um in the ways in which that seems to be at odds with you know perhaps some of the more the more audacious members of the community yeah um I used to remember, I mean, this only really changed for me in the last few years, but like, I remember always thinking that it was weird to be proud of being queer and like, not in like a shameful way, but like, what do you mean? Like, you're proud, like, you just are what you are. And I I know that in the last few years, that's kind of been reframed for me in the ways that I think about what it means to be proud to be a part of a, a, a community. Um, and it started with blackness and being like, oh, I get what it means to be proud and not like I'm proud of being gay, but like I am proud. I I am living my life out loud in a way that I can be proud of and that I can honor myself and honor the community and all of those things. Um, And then I started to think of pride in a different way. I still don't really want to (laughs) go, but like I, I appreciate it in a different way. Um, but for the longest time, and, and like I said, I still don't really enjoy the festivities as much. Um, and I also think it, it becomes really exhausting to see gay shit everywhere. Like at some point, like by the end of Jan- uh, by the end of June, I'm like, okay, girl, we get it. Like every store window, because the, mm-hmm. but the flip side of that is even frustrating because like it's what we've asked for, right? We want it to be accepted. Into, well, it is. Like, we've wanted to be accepted. We wanted to be, Mm-mm. you know, seen as normal. We Mm-mm. want it to be mainstream. I, I think that this is the, the, the consequence of, like, marginalized groups becoming more and more mainstream. Disagree Mm-mm. if you want to. What is I'm your perspective? Already doing that. Already in progress. Disagreement Clearly. in progress. Um, no, see, I don't think that we as a community have asked for, you know these ugly ass rainbow displays in your window or these ugly ass Agree. rainbow uh, uh not what versions of of your 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 product right specifically for pride month right there the the problem is that 
Pride Month in June ends up being the only time that you that many of these entities care about queer people because of the what they perceive to be and what is the 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 economic boom that that uh, they can or they feel and then want to kind of exploit from it. But what that does is that tells us as a community that like, oh, we'll see you, but only if you pay us to see you, right? I, and like, I don't think that's what we asked for. It is now, it is something that we are participating in, right? We are buying the ugly ass merch. You know, we are buying the plastic rainbow flags that they sell on the corner, right? But I don't I don't think that that is, is, is what we asked for. And I often think about right the the roots of pride right um we talk about stonewall and all of that and today pride is seen as this like celebratory type of thing but like the early years of pride it was a protest it was a demonstration right it was a you know we're here we're queer we ain't going nowhere right like it it was a an assertion and a staking claim of our uh, of our presence and our identities and our security within that and all of these industries have now picked up on that as an opportunity for them to hopefully gain audiences but i don't think and, and by audiences i mean consumers um but i i don't think that's what we we asked for i think that is what we've accepted though i so I wholly agree with you. And I'm not saying that we asked for, you know, ugly lines of clothing with rainbows on them. What I'm saying is like the pride, the protest in pride, even like the we're here, we're queer and we're, we're not going anywhere is about like, accept me, right? See me as a whole person. See me as uh, the same way that you would see any other person in your family or in your life. And like, don't mistreat me. And I think that that is what we have been asking for. And like during January, and I mean, excuse me, during June and other parts of the of the year, maybe um, there are moments when we are kind of seen everywhere in a way. And like, I think that is the part that we asked for. I think the part that we haven't asked for is, you know, the the bad, the poor attempts at trying to market the underwhelming, you know, commercialization of it and like that is the part that kind of begins to turn me off because it does start to feel like this is really just for profit and not necessarily for for you know celebrating culture or moving the culture forward because if you really believed that you would also you know be featuring some of these things in august or you would be demonstrating this in november or whenever else i think it's difficult to have this conversation and use any sort of like general terms like a we because what we know is that this this community the a the g the b the t the q and you know the i the s the two and all of that other stuff you know we Don't all have different a. them too and um, the plus uh, with the rest of them uh -huh, and the asterisk too <laughs> um but we all have our diff we're each individual slice of that you know alphabet um, is at a different place, right? And like, I can't help but think about the ways in which, you know, maybe to your point, there are some people who asked for visibility, right? As part of their, uh, uh, their acceptance. Maybe there also are people who, well, we know, right? There are people who, who believed that LGBTQ rights was rooted in gay people having the right to marry, the ability to marry legally, mm -hmm. 
right? But what we also know is so many other communities, part of that LGBTQ umbrella, and particularly trans and other gender expansive folks, particularly those of color, particularly those from low income backgrounds and such like that, uh, communities, you know, are still in a fight for our lives. You know, right. we are still, um, pride means, I think, pride means something different to black and brown, queer and trans folks, particularly trans and gender expansive folks than it does to anybody else in the community. Um, and, you know, I've been thinking about, as we were prepping for this episode, I was thinking about, you know, Frederick Douglass has this speech that folks often quote around Fourth of July uh, called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, in which he mm. talks about just like the difference in relationship that enslaved people would have to a holiday like Fourth of July. And it makes me think similarly for for pride, you know, what to the black trans person is, is pride, right? I I'm with you. Like, I get what you're saying. And I don't even think that our two points are opposing because ultimately, like you began this by saying, like, pride is protest. And really, when you distill it down, what is protest about visibility, right? And being seen and being heard and being and, and resistance and like disruptive visibility and saying, I'm here. I'm queer. Get over it. Like that kind of thing. Right. Saying that, like, I exist and I I deserve to have rights. I deserve to have everything that everyone else has. And I should not be able, I should not be discriminated against because of who I am. And so I think that, you know, part of it is what we asked for. I think part of it is what we asked for. And part of it is what was interpreted as what we asked for. Right. Like, no, we didn't want the stupid T-shirt. We wanted you to get your get, give us get, housing. Give us get, I was going to say, right, get, you get your privilege out of my way, right? Get, get your oppression out of my way. But the way that that has manifested itself is, you know, with a, a rainbow backpack and an ugly line of denim or whatever it is like. Um, I, and so, like, I, 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 I see your point and I don't disagree. Original name of this show was I don't disagree. Um, but like, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you. I think that like really the protest of of the beginnings of pride with Marsha p johnson and the folks in at the stonewall inn and all those things like it was about visibility and wanting to be seen and wanted to be respected and wanted to be appreciated um and 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 seen as and and more normalized well last thing i'll say is well last three things i will say Ooh, is Jesus. um one we also forget about the roots of this LGBTQ rights movement that predated Stonewall. So whether that's, mm. you know, the, the riot at Compton's cafeteria in the Bay Area, um, Cooper's Donuts, the Black Cat Tavern here in LA, among other places um, that just don't get that, that same respect or deference or acknowledgement you know um as stonewall so that's something that's in my mind too i think about the ways in which i did a story last year for level magazine um i'm gonna try to remember for us to to link it in the show notes um in which i interviewed uh black trans and gender expansive organizers and activists about like what the future of pride looks like um, and it's so interesting to hear folks talk about the ways in which we as a community still have work to do to support those of us who are more marginalized um, and how perhaps some of the, the persisting issues that we still have both intra and inter community um, are rooted in whiteness and anti-blackness. 
Um, mm. And how those are things that, you know, even LGBTQ people have to grapple with. Actually, I would say especially LGBTQ people need to grapple with, especially you white gays who think you can't be racist because you gay. Hello? Um, that you cling know, to your gayness because you think that it gives you a level of oppression that is the same as being black or brown. That. <laughs> yes. And then last but not least, you know, I just i want us to get back to the 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 space where like we weren't you know uh being placated by these kind of minor shows of acceptance um i want more for us i'll leave it there i think uh, i think that's completely right i think that ultimately like this is sometimes what it looks like to have progress and i think that sometimes the visibility um is valuable and useful and sometimes it's annoying and frustrating and feels empty and sometimes it is able to you know move the conversation forward for folks that need to to change their minds and so um i think all of those things are important and also like we love and hate pride we're gonna take a quick break coming up we're gonna talk to y'all about why y'all hate us so much we have some really interesting emails and our listener feedback and we'll get into our dishonorable mentions as we go to break this week's question is what does pride mean to you you can hit us up on social medias uh, social medias 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 yeah, medias social- is plural mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. tweet or post using the hashtag fanti fam we'll be jumping in and responding to your post on twitter and instagram from at fanti podcast and our personal accounts curious to see what you think should have made our list we'll be right back hi are you someone who thinks that when one door closes another one opens someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel if you answered yes to one or both of these questions good for you we are not those people nope i'm annabelle gerwich and i'm a you know that other door opening it probably leads to a broom closet kind of person and i'm laura house When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny! Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Patton Oswalt, Kelsey Dara, and open mic eagle. I have this public facing self and then I have my emotional self that tends to stay hidden. It was about finding a way to communicate to somebody that like, there's terrible sh going on back here. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, beautiful people. We're going to get into our listener feedback. First up, we've got an email from one of your friends, Chara. Yes, my friend Katie sent us an email that was in response to the letter that we had. I think it was like two or three weeks ago about cops and robbers in the game that the kids were playing, the white boy and the black boy. Um, Katie had an interesting perspective on this and was like, um, I've got a response to your email. I was like, to your show. And I was like, 
girl, send me an email and we'll put it in. Uh, I thought her perspective was really, really great. She says, I am an anti-gun and would, I am anti-gun and would definitely support a mandatory program where people have to turn in their guns. I also love the dream of a direct action wherein millions of people of color register gun ownership within the same week. I get that those are conflicting, but many of my opinions are. That's the fanti of it all, right? Anyway, about the idea of kids playing all of the variations of cops and robbers. I remember friends bringing plastic water guns to the baby shower for my first kid. All of the kids were uh, that I was babysitting at the time started to run around shooting water at one another. They were delighted and I was horrified. It was 2013 and I had been working with youth, many of whom are regularly impacted by gun violence and white supremacy. My wife and I, Katie's a white cis lesbian says um, my wife and I freaked out and took all of the guns away a new game needed to be played and really that is the moral of my story a new game needs to be played and the secret that I didn't learn until my kid was old enough to play and make up his own games is that kids want to play chase they don't care what the story is so they go with the one that they've heard that is where it is our job as adults to interrupt and explain why the game doesn't work and offer a new narrative. Every time my kid talked about police versus robbers or came home with the story about meeting a police officer on the schoolyard, which also meant he had an SFPD junior officer sticker, I let him finish speaking and then talk to him about the reality of what happens when police chase people or when a kid plays with a pretend gun or a pack of Skittles. We also talk about how being around police when you are black probably feels different than when you are any other race, and for good reason. Yes, he gets annoyed, but he knows the truth. People nag their kids about vegetables and manners. Why not white supremacy and violence? Just last week, he was at a playground with a friend, and their parent told me that Nico... Uh, told the kids to play murder tag and she hollered murder no tag. way i don't even know what murder tag is right <laughs> i am um, sorry to, to play murder tag and she hollered no way so then nico suggested piggy tag whatever that means my point is that our kids get the def- default story either way what they need from trusted adults in their lives is consistency of interruption education and creative redirecting um, she goes on to talk about her son having a Nerf gun. She says, it, it doesn't leave our house. It has uh, years. He has years of anti-gun propaganda in his mind. And he knows that black children have been killed for holding fake guns. And if I hear a narrative while he plays that, uh, plays with that, that enforces any of the BS, the gun goes away for a month. I don't minimize any of this. The power of play is real. And the majority of the stories we grew up with are total trash. But I really do believe that the kids just want to play a game of chase and we need to get more creative about the stories to go along with it and now that i'm wondering if piggy tag was his sneaky way to get at cops and robbers oh like that's a pig reference okay i see what she did there um p.s the kids (laughs) who held down the other kid no way she says that is not okay no matter what the story is the parents in that situation should have seen and stopped it so that was katie's perspective I thought that was really interesting. Um, I know Katie is a person who's always talking to her young children about race, um, about gender, about sexuality, and like has conversations that I think a lot of adults aren't even really, you know, clear on how to have with each other. Um, And I I love the idea of that because if you're getting that as a child and you're having to think about those things critically as your brain is forming, it has to have an impact on the way that you will look at the world as an adult and the way you will treat other people and the way that you will look at yourself and feel freedom or feel, you know, uh, encouraged to live your truth. And I, I just think that's really dope. I can't just 
keep I'm sorry for the pause. I just keep thinking murder attack. <laughs> <laughs> what is murder tag? <laughs> I, I just cannot. I'm gonna move on to the next email. Um, what were you, you gonna say? You were thinking? Um, I was thinking murder tag. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also was thinking about like, damn, do I really want kids? Like, oh, I that's, mean, girl, no, thank you, honey. Um, okay, we got an email from Brennan uh, responding to both our guns and gender episodes. I'm going to break this into two. Um, so Brennan says, um, wanted to t- touch base regarding your Stay Strapped episode over the course of the Trump presidency. Oh, I wanted to say, like, you know, uh, what is it? Content warning, trigger warning, you know, mm. for the next, like, seven minutes or whatever. Uh, what is the trigger that we should be warned about? Uh, uh, all of them shit um, oh, okay. uh, suicidal ideation okay um, okay so Brennan says for starters I don't think I should ever own a gun because I have a history of suicidal ideation and I don't want to risk having such an easy access to death in the event I have another urge I feel like this is a point that is often missing from the whole guns and mental health discussion regardless of what side of the gun control issue you're on furthermore I think there's a very limited set of circumstances where I'd actually be okay doing serious harm to another person much less kill them so regardless of my internet circles increasingly suggesting gun acquisition I do not think I will be joining the ranks of armed minorities mm, okay that's, that's the part about guns um and but then i i think that i think the important part of that is like a self-awareness right of knowing like i am not a person who feels comfortable or feels that i am responsible enough in the ways that i would need to be to own a gun and i think that that self-awareness is really really important for sure. Um, and then Brendan also mentioned from our Gender is a Scam episode, um, they say, as a trans non-binary individual, I have spent a lot of time grilling all my cis friends on what the actual fuck a gender is and how one experiences it. For most of my adult life, I have felt that whatever part of the brain tells you what your gender is has simply been missing from missing for me, and I feel genderless when I'm just by myself. However, I also feel way more comfortable without breasts and with a penis. I don't really understand why this is, but it is. I opted start medically transitioning because I prefer other people to see me as a man even if I don't usually think of myself as one I spent literal years mulling over whether this was because of my own internalized misogyny or because of being trans included in that was a lot of working through all the girl power messages I received as a kid especially as a girl interested in science I realized I had spent a lot of time convincing myself that being a girl was definitely better than being a boy this made embracing and relaxing into my masculine identity challenging and I continue to have good old trans imposter syndrome now every now and again in the end i don't really have tidy conclusions about gender and i hope we're heading towards a future where the parts uh the parts you have don't define your gender for the onlooker i've never heard someone uh, talk about their trans imposter syndrome experience Uh, the imposter syndrome is something that i spend a lot of time thinking about and writing about and uh or you know doing research on for a project and i think 
you know, the work that we're doing is looking at the intersection of blackness and, and, uh, imposter syndrome. And also there is like a queer and trans element of that. And that is one of the things that I found to be really interesting is, you know, how do black people, you know, uniquely engage the imposter syndrome? How do black queer people and black trans people uniquely engage, um, engage their own selves, um, in ways that, you know, result in the imposter syndrome. So, um, I really appreciate that perspective, uh, coming from Brennan and I, I, you know, sending you love and, and the positive vibes. Like I'm, I'm hoping that this process is moving along for you and, and you're finding, you know, more love and acceptance within yourself and, and others. Yes. Shout out to you, Brennan. Now we're going to get into our dishonorable mentions. These are the stories of people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out, either for their good or their bad. I'm going to start. And I have two streaming recommendations for you all. One from Netflix. Everybody needs to check out High on the Hog. It is a great doc series um, about how African... um, African-American cuisine has like changed the world basically. Um, And so it charts the path of various foods that are prominent in African-American cuisine from the continent um, all the way through, you know, the slave trade and all of that. It's just really good, really well done. Um, So that's High on the Hog on Netflix. And then also out today, well, the day that we're recording this. So by the time you're listening to it, you should have already watched it. But if you haven't, Check out Changing the Game on Hulu. It is a fabulous documentary produced by Alex Schmider um, about this conversation around trans um, youth in sports. Um, it's The doc has been on the festival circuit for a couple years now, and so finally it's making its way to Hulu. Um, there have been a variety of conversations about uh, trans youth in sports and such like that. I think we've hit a little bit of it on this show, but that's a great, it's a well-done documentary, but I think it can also be very educational for those of you who, you know, want some of that information. Interesting. Okay. Um, my first thing is uh, going to... I'm going to give a dishonorable mention to me. Uh, For those of you that follow me on Twitter last week, I was tweeting about my excitement for In the Heights, the movie coming out, but also... I hadn't like been engaging with the PR folks there. And I feel like I get so much publicity stuff in my inbox and just, I, it turned out that I had missed it, but like, I'm super excited about, uh, in the Heights coming. And I had, I, I think I kind of pissed them off a little bit. And so I was like, I'm so sorry, but like, I'm really, really geeked about in the Heights. And I'm really, really, uh, hoping that all of you go check it out. I remember listening to the musical, um, to the, the soundtrack, before I even moved to LA probably 10, 12 years ago. Um, and if you don't know that musical, like you're missing out on your life. Um, but also like there's a whole new recorded uh, soundtrack for the new film. So uh, get ready for In the Heights coming out in theaters very soon and also on uh, HBO Max. I also want to give a shout out to Simone Biles. Um, there's a story in salon.com talking about Simone Biles. Uh, you know her as, you know, the iconic gymnast. There's a headline from Salon that says Simone Biles should be praised, not punished for achieving a feat that was deemed impossible. And Simone has, you know, broken all kinds of boundaries, not just as a black athlete, but, you know, as a gymnast in general. Um, And there was a quote in the New York Times about this thing that she does that's called, I I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Yurchenko double pike. They say, quote, it is so perilous 
uh, and challenging that no other woman has attempted it in competition. And it is unlikely that any woman in the world is even training to give it a try. She uh, performed and, and, you know, really just kind of wowed everyone. Um, but she was penalized for what she was doing being too difficult. Um, and like, they were saying, well, other people can't do that. Basically saying like, it wasn't fair. And it was like, anyone else would be like praised for doing something that other people can't do. And so, uh, you know, dishonorable mention to the folks who are, are, you know, intimidated by her greatness. I also wanted to give an honorable mention to Naomi Osaka, um, who is a legend in the making, uh, a young tennis player. Um, I remember last week seeing her post saying like, I'm not going to do media um, after, you know, I think it was the French Open that just came up um, and that she wasn't planning on doing the media and was going to accept the fine. And she described it as something that she was making uh, this choice for her own mental health and how difficult doing press is for her and how it isn't, you know, helpful, you know, for the athlete. And that, that needs to be taken into consideration. She's now been fined and she's been, you know, criticized for making that choice of then eventually pulling out of the open uh, completely. And so um, to Simone and Naomi, I just want to, you know, shout them out as, you know, fantastic female athletes that are, shaking the table and and doing really good work so shout out to both of them black history is happening every day so back in 2019 there was a lot of conversation about miss cardiff b um trying to trademark cardiff uh, b oh oh um, but, and a lot of people are like, you know, she created it, da, 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 so she should be able to trademark it. But any black, gay, black, homosexual, black, queer, sexual will know that Cardi actually did not create Okra. Um, neither did Laganja Estranja from Drag Race either. Yeah, I feel very attacked. Relax. Um, but, and so this, this year's, this year, here we go. Like, has it been a year? This month's, uh, this week's, oh Lord wow. Jesus, it's time wow. to go. You want to breathe? You want to take a breath, sweetie? Uh, breathing's bad for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Smog. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Okay. We need to get the hell up out of here. Okay. This week's, uh, Black History Month moment is going to the one and only Rodney Chester, who is the person seemingly who first used Okur in popular parlance he starred in the ensemble of patrick ian polk's iconic noah's ark and he used the term apparently as an ad lib in the 2008 film which was a spinoff of the series called noah's ark jumping the broom take a listen this is worse than an episode of jerry springer uh-uh maury povich okay so shout out to Rodney for doing what needs to be done and paving the way as black queer people always have. I, I shouted out Jack A. Harry earlier. There are a few black performers whose cadence and tone are so specific. Jack A. Harry is one of them. I think Jennifer Lewis is one of them. Rodney Chester, absolutely one of those actors where it's like, oh, only Rodney Chester would do that that way. And I, I really appreciate Rodney. So uh, shout out to Rodney. We speak your name, sis. We speak, we speak your, your name. name. Uh, Travel, you're coming up on a podcast called Untold Stories Beyond the Binary because you're hosting it. 
Yes, I'm hosting it. By the time you listen to this episode, you the the first episode of Untold Stories Beyond the Binary is out. You can check that out wherever you are listening to this very podcast here. I'm doing it um, with uh, Entertainment Weekly. And so it's going to be four episodes coming out every Wednesday throughout Pride Month. So check me out. Absolutely. And if this conversation uh, about Pride piqued your interest and you want more of this, good, good. Check out other episodes that have a related conversation. Episode 21 was called Black Trans Lives Matter, uh, featuring Dwayne Kennedy and Char Jossel. Char is obviously uh, one of the major friends of the show, so go check that one out. We want to thank you so much for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Let us know what you think about the show. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet us at Podcast or follow us on Instagram at the same handle, Podcast using the hashtag FantiFam. Or you can send us an email at fanti at maximumfun.org. And if you'd become like to become a financially supporting member of the work that we do here, you can join at maximumfun.org slash join. Our music is brought to you by the one and only Corrice. That's C-O-R-E-C-E. And our graphics are done by Ashley Wen and the folks over at Moonhouse Creative. Our producers are Laura Swisher. <laughs> and... Did you become like a flock of seagulls? Jordan Colling. <laughs> this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Ask listeners to. <laughs> we're not going to say ask listeners. Jesus Christ. And we I want to issues. thank you. Jesus. Right. <laughs>